previously on Baccio Death Trip. Benji had this to say about Daniel Johns and Diorama. Throw out your tall opiate shirts, bring in your flashy kimonos, and let's talk about <laughs> the last good fucking thing Daniel Johns has ever done. Benji, does it really matter that this is the last good creative thing that Daniel Johns has ever done, in your humble opinion, if this album is a near masterpiece, if he has climbed the songwriting mountain? Does the fact that the band weren't able to hit these highs again detract from your enjoyment of this amazing album? Do you have to say that because you're Australian? I am going to go full Columbus syndrome on this album. I, I've just discovered it. <laughs> like I have poo-pooed Silverchair for so long and I've only just recently discovered Diorama. I'm like, you guys have you got to hear this band Silverchair. They're crazy. You, um, you, you poo-pooed it though way back when you were a young whippersnapper in your Marvin the Martian boxer shorts. So are you telling me, before we get into my answer, just for full disclosure, you didn't really listen to Diorama when you gave a girl shit for liking Diorama that you actively put her off Diorama? Not just a girl, like my first love, like my first girlfriend. Oh, We've been together for like two years at the time, and I don't know what I was listening to or what I was hearing when I heard her play Diorama because... Because I'm a big Brian Wilson fan, and I was back then. Like, I loved Smile, Smile and yeah. I loved Pet Sounds. Oh, man. I mean, I I loved the Beach Boys more than the Beatles, and I used to rag on the Beatles, and then I started listening to a, a bit more of the kind of not-single stuff and realized, oh, shit, these guys are pretty good. But I'm still predominantly uh, a Beach Boys fan. But listening to it now, I'm like, this fucking rules. Why was I not into this? But maybe it's because I heard The Greatest View and I that's not the strongest song on the album, but it's like the single on the album. But just hearing the arrangements and the harmonies and the uh, orchestral sort of flourishes, it's like, this is fucking incredible. Why did I give her shit? Why was I such an asshole? It is a massive regret. Yeah, I mean, I loved The Greatest View because I thought it was like s- typical standard silver chair affair, but... It just expanded upon the ideas that Daniel Johns had with Neon Ballroom, neither of which are my favourite Silverchair albums. But uh, yeah, I I stand by the fact that Diorama's probably the last truly great thing Daniel Johns has done. Now, he'll probably sue me in this podcast for saying that, and I would like to, you know, justify everything by saying... This is just one guy's opinion at the end of the day. This is not gospel or anything like that. But when they came out with Young Modern, it just seemed so pompous and over the top. So Diorama was like the last truly big. It had a real Baz Luhrmann vibe to it as well. It had a real theatrical kind of presence to it. Like starting off with Across the Night, which was a, a just a fantastic little kind of... um ballad in kicking into the greatest view so yeah i stand by the fact that this was the last good and i'll say great thing that daniel johns has done but fucking still man freak shows the best silver chair album as far as i'm concerned of course it's the last great thing that they've done because it was such a huge step up it's so hard to top it's like saying oh usain bolt he was shit after he broke the world record it's like well 
He broke the world record. How many times do you want him to keep breaking the world record? And even he had to go like, you know what? I'm changing it up. I'm going to go play soccer. That was his dissociatives period, you know? Usain Bolt playing soccer was Daniel Johns making like, I can't believe it's not rock with Paul Mack. But then he, he did solo stuff with um Joel Little, didn't he, at one point, producing. With Joel Little being the producer for Lord's first album, Pure Heroin. And he's worked with fucking Die Die Die, but who's not worked with those lovely chaps, man? He made those albums. Silverchair fell apart. Uh, Daniel had ill health. Uh, he was getting off antidepressants. He had the arthritis. The band sort of dissolved. And now, and there's some weird sort of ill will between the members. That's almost like the Sex and the City cast, where it's like someone will post like a Daniel Johns is not good anymore, and then Ben Ben Gillies will like that post on Instagram or like a comment or something. Ooh, spicy! Yeah, it's like Kim Cattrall and Sarah Jessica Parker. But like Kim Cattrall's decided that she's going to be in season two of just like just like that. No, I don't think she's decided. I think her character is, but she may not be that character. Is what they're saying. Oh, for real? Well, that's ridiculous. Like they're going to recast Kim Cattrall's character, despite the fact that it's definitively a Kim Cattrall character. How are they going to do that? Oh, hey guys, I had a botched facelift. Oh, my face got torn off by a monkey and I've had facial replacement. I think they go on full Darren from Bewitched. Absolutely. Silverchair's run is exactly what you want. You want raw, grungy first album. Every album got better and then Young Modern, modern sort of took a turn. But the, the, that four album run, Frog Stomp, Freak Show, Neon Ballroom, and then Diorama. You can see them take those steps up really, really well. I don't know. I just think that's kind of near the perfect evolution of a band, bar all that stuff that's going on. If you're just looking at those four albums and the output there, that's kind of, yeah, that's what you want. I mean, I I would agree with what you said uh, moments ago, saying how do you top Diorama, which was like the near perfect realization of Daniel Johns wanted to bring classical emotional music from say neon ballroom and combine it with like that not so much the grungy element i think he was a bit more wiser than that i know that with frog stomp that he listened to a lot more kind of helmet i mean he fucking loved the drop d on on freak show he absolutely adored the drop d on freak show but uh, yeah i have to agree that how do they top diorama so my question back to you is reese should they have done Young Modern? Or should they have just stopped that diorama and gone, that's it, guys. Like, let's all just go do our thing. We're not going to top this. And then become a legacy band. Because by 2002, Silverchair were already pretty much a legacy band. You could guarantee a crowd for them when they go to festivals, even if they're not doing a, an album cycle tour. I would hate to be a musician and write some fucking great music and everyone's like, that rules. You should quit. It's like, wait, what? It's like, you should quit. You've written the best album ever. You're never going to do better. It's like, yeah, I know I'm never going to do better, but I like playing with my friends and I like writing songs. So I'm going to keep going if that's all right. It's like, oh man. But then it's also interesting because they, they did that one extra album and they were like, oh, this is no good. We're, we're, we're dropping out. Oh, the Straight Lines was okay, but... Straight Lines was not all right, was man. All Straight right. Lines was boring as shit. Oh, well, that's an interesting time signatures, man. Yeah, I mean, I I liked If You Keep Losing Sleep because it had some interesting time signatures and it had you know, some interesting elements to it. I just thought Straight Lines was just a straight hairhead, middle-of-the-road modern rock song. Like, fair enough. It, it was like five years between tracks yeah. daniel john's going through a whole bunch of shit they've come back they did it it did well in the um it did well in the charts didn't it yeah, yeah, it, was it got nominated radio. for a number of arias but 
That's what you expect from Silverchair now when it comes to the Arias, don't you? I, I stand by it. Diorama was the last great thing Daniel Johns has done. Even his podcast was bland. It was like, yeah, we're going to get... Have you, have you listened to the podcast that he did? Yeah, 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 I did. There's nothing new on that podcast, let's be honest. It was all kind of standard affair that we knew anyway. Yeah, and I think Ben and Chris were invited onto it, but they didn't want to take part or something. I don't know, there's all these sort of like gossip and salacious rumors and stuff like that. And you're like, uh, who gives a fuck? Like, in my mind, Silverchair are sort of lumped in the same group as Limp Biscuit and Guns N' Roses. And do you know what that group is? I've been jonesing to find out what the, what they've got in common when I looked at the run sheet, man. So no, what what do Limp Bizkit, Guns N' Roses, and Silverchair have in common? So <laughs> there's one member who just becomes more eccentric as they go on and they start to wear like crazier clothes and like glasses with one lens. And then the rest of the band are just wearing like Maui and Sun shirts and like <laughs> yeah. shorts on stage. Good old, good old Ben rocking a fucking Quicksilver <laughs> yeah. pair of cargo shorts, man. Like that's why I love that guy. That guy's got a Velcro wallet. I swear. Yeah. And a wallet chain. Where's Borland over at Limp Bizkit doing the same thing. Meanwhile, Fred's just like, oh, I can't even be fucked doing my hair. I'll just put this hat on again. And then the bass player, Sam Rivers is like, can I just put some contacts in? That'll be cool. And I'll have these like light up frets. And meanwhile, like Slash, he's got his top hat, all his gear on, and then the rest of the band just like, oh, we're just going to wear our, like, singlets. Like, that'll do. Now, I've got a real interesting question before we get stuck in a bit more about the album. What's the relationship that Daniel Johns has had with the media over there? From an outsider looking in, like, I spent time in New Zealand, but you know, we only got bits and pieces that sifted through from australia and then i moved to england and it was just kind of like bits and pieces that sifted over into magazines over here was he a bit of a of a of a tabloid darling did people love to just focus on him like he was a child actor almost i don't really know i don't think that's stuff crept into my bubble okay i don't really know you'd hear when he fucked up which is unfortunate but he would definitely be trying to push like his ep or his dance music that he was trying but like it was kind of interesting that wasn't landing and you could tell like either he or his management had gone to the classic music websites and be like hey um i'll like write a list of like top five crazy things that happened to me on tour or like top 10 silver chair b-sides and then down the bottom be like by the way daniel johns has a new ep yeah i would do that a lot like hey look i know your magazine's already interviewed me quite a bunch but we've got something new coming out can i like write something for you guys you don't have to pay me but you can advertise the thing it's like yeah of course so you could see him go that angle meanwhile he gets into some trouble somewhere else and that that makes the papers but he's, he's also in like a smaller town in newcastle so maybe it makes new south wales press there more i, I think he's a bit of a recluse as well if, if you're not familiar with the story of Silverchair, um those guys did the first triple j competition where bands would sub like a battle of the bands basically but based on the radio rather than anything else. And because I remember the very first music video for um, Tomorrow, which was when they were like playing with their shirts off and then they got picked up by a larger label in America and they re-recorded that. So now that the most common video for uh, Tomorrow is the one with the pig man counting his money and stuff like that. But just reading things like how, uh, hey guys, you're going to be playing uh, the MTV Music Awards. Oh, okay, are we going to be opening? Yeah, but we're going to put you outside on Times Square on a balcony that the Foo Fighters announced that Pat Smear was going to leave on. And it's going to be a real focus on you guys. And at a young fucking age to have that foisted upon you 
and as just as you've said, like they came from a small town in New South Wales. Yeah, I'm not surprised that Daniel Johns got fucked up a little bit. They treated him like a teen pinup. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure. I remember from that podcast, uh, what was it called like Inside Daniel Johns or whatever? They said people would ring up and be like, "If Daniel doesn't talk to me, I'm going to kill myself. Like I need to speak to him right now." That's a lot of pressure for a 16 to. For anyone. Yeah, anyone, man. But in particular, they kind of started to clue in to the record industry, in particular in America, around the time they started writing for Diorama. I've got a small grab of what Daniel had to say about the record industry. The first two albums, we were just oblivious to everything. And the start of Neon Boring, we were oblivious to everything. We just started getting more educated i guess as to how things work because we were refusing to do lots of things and they were saying well if you don't do that then this won't happen and this won't happen and if you don't play a radio show in america for this radio station then they're linked to these other 150 radio stations and they won't play and that was really the beginning of the end that was really when we got too much knowledge and all became cynics and everything went downhill uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think that they they realized that they peeked behind the curtain and realized that the Wizard of Oz was just someone who was a grifter. And that realization for those guys must have sucked, you know, like they went all that time being told, yeah, guys, you got to do this. But if, if you if you don't do this, then it's going to affect you all over here. And then you've seen how advances work from record labels, man. Sometimes they are just fucking unfair any independent musician that's thinking of getting an advance don't just get a fucking credit card you'll probably be much better off maxing that out than getting a label advance honestly you'll get some sweet points but yeah that that must have really really soured them really soured them to realize that they they, they peeked through the veil and realized oh is that how it works well this sucks but that small bubble was sort of a blessing and a curse because the sony australia released their first three albums and that label knew their story they knew how they got their stardom they knew their fan base they knew how the australian market worked but then silverchair like we've done our three album deal we're going to look at a major label because then we don't have to pay some sort of tax to the major sony we can just do our own thing so their manager created 11 uh the record company to cover australia and maybe some other regions and they signed with atlantic now the good thing about atlantic is they covered north america and great, they have much more reach and they could get their album out there. The bad thing is that label is just like, we don't really fucking know your story. You're a band. We know you wrote Anna's song, Anthem for the Year 2000. We know you wrote Freak Show. We know you've got a fan base. Fucking what have you got for us? And so they started, you know, recording Diorama and sending the label stuff. And the label like, no, no, no. This isn't Silverchair enough for Silverchair fans because all of a sudden they're t- sort of taken out of context. They don't have that, that family history behind them and there's actual footage online man of the record guy going in and asking them to change the way daniel sings and daniel's like i don't know i don't know if i do it then they've got an option like if i if i give them two vocal takes then they've got an option if i just give them the one that i want to do that's all they can run with they can either run with it or not yeah so the atlantic did know the game a bit more and said you know you need to go and write a single so they were in la mixing the album right the label like you've got to fucking fly back to australia and write a hit single so they wrote this song ramble that's just like shitting on the label basically they never and they didn't even release it how 
how is that any different to the greatest view? Well, I guess this was written out of place of anger and not want. Or like how Korn, you know, released your one single. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that sucks about the whole Atlantic thing. Because if they did track, if they properly tracked Silverchair's um, course leading up to Diorama, then, I mean, you know it, I know it, a ton of Silverchair fans know it, a ton, a ton of music journalists know it. This was just a natural progression for Daniel Johns and everyone. Uh, you know, so the label going, oh, but that's not a Silverchair song for Silverchair fans. But yeah, Silverchair fans kind of changed and evolved and grew with the band. So uh, that's kind of bullshit. And yet again, another reason to have some sympathy for Daniel Johns that he peeked through the veil and then being told his songwriting's not his songwriting enough. That's quite Kafkaesque, man. But in on the other hand, and I don't really want to defend the record industry, Silverchair stepped into their world. Like, Silverchair, like, we want to step into your world. You're going to, you know North America. You can handle that for us. They're like, great, here's what you need. You need a hit single. You need to play this radio station. You need this. You need this. You need this. And the record label guy is even like, you need to, he tries to arrange a song. He's like, no, no, no. You go to the bridge too early. You need another verse before you hit that chorus. Then you go into your heavy bridge because otherwise radio in America will fade it out after that bridge. So you, you're not going to get your melody line in there. And that's not going to be an earworm. You can hear him trying to do it. Yeah. And so I, I can see it from the record label's point of view. It's like, you want to take this step, but we're thinking commercial step. And Silvertro are thinking like, no, no, no. We want to take this artistic yeah, step. Yeah, and, and that's always where kind of like musicians and labels butt heads is the artistic merit versus the commercial element. And unfortunately, as much as people tell you that Oh, you know that, that you don't need both you kind of do because even if you don't make a huge amount of money back you want to make your investment back you want to remain solvent don't you and daniel john said i literally wrote the best album i was humanly capable of and i got the classic ah oh, you got anything else danny oh. like, that that's pretty demoralizing i think but hey never mind what me and you think I wonder what a Silverchair fan would think. So I posted on the Silverchair Reddit and I was like, hey guys, what do you think of Diorama? And I've just got some quotes here. So Telephone Shoes said, no other band I'm aware of has even come close to something as interesting, different and attention demanding of the listener than the boys did on Diorama. DGAVS1 said, the playing is ridiculously tight considering how big and expansive the songs are. And that's true. Like Ben and Chris are just, they're just laying down the foundation. There's not that much like flair or like it's it's the Daniel Johns show because those guys step back and allow that to happen just by like, Here's, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. Daniel, fly. Kylo Hepburn said, Diorama is my favorite album of all time. The Axolotl 04 said, Diorama is my feel-good album. It takes you through a colorful journey from track to track. The songwriting and composition is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah, and, and like the, you know, it is colourful, even looking at the album artwork and the, the Diorama box, or Diorama box, wh however you want to pronounce If you're last old, Diorama box by Daniel Jones. <laughs> uh, even even that, like, they match the artwork with the, with the songwriting magnificently. I always got Wizard of Oz vibes from it. What, what do you mean? Just the colour, when it goes into Technicolor? The colour, the fantastical, the, the costumes that, that the band would wear around that time, you know, it was it was almost felt like, again, it was just the pinnacle, the apex of Silverchair, I thought, because it was just the entire package from start to finish. 
allow me to go bomb funk MC style straight from the top of my dome here. Hot takes. Yeah, hot takes galore. You've brought up Wizard of Oz. Do you reckon the label like we've signed this Wizard of Oz band? They're gonna be fucking great. Everyone loves them. And then in their mind, Silverchair have handed in Return to Oz. It's like, what the fuck is this? What's with all these wheelers? Like, if <laughs> yeah. you watch Wizard of Oz and you're like, oh, you know, there's a sequel. That is a fucking most harrowing movie ever. It's like, oh, that's the sequel to Wizard of Oz. It's like, what is the so, connection? So does that make disassociatives Oz the Great and Powerful? Yes. <laughs> it's like we didn't even need a backstory for Oz, but here we are now. Zamol said Dark Side of the Moon and Diorama are the two greatest concept albums ever. And Dark Side acknowledges that existence itself is meaningless and most of what we do to find meaning just creates isolated loneliness, whereas diorama reframes that pain as a necessary thing for growth and diorama is musical therapy for a broken heart that's pretty heavy oracularis said to me diorama is courage courage is ultimately seeing hope in the darkness it creates freedom and freedom is happiness oh that definitely must have meant something to that person but i know someone who's been a silverchair fan since day one they were in the silverchair fan club before like oh. chairpage.net or whatever was the thing. And it was called like the Llama Club. Yeah, it would have been because they had a uh, obsession on that first album with llamas, didn't they? Apparently. I, I, I don't like the first two albums that much. I, I'm not a grunge boy, really. <gasps> I'm not much of a grunge boy. <gasps> not a Helmet fan. Not really. I, but I wouldn't even class them as grunge. No, I mean, because I wouldn't really class Freak Show as grunge. But anyway. Yeah, maybe I need to go back to Freak Show. Yeah. So my friend, early day Silverchair fan, I've asked him to record something. He sent me something five minutes long. And this is real. This isn't like me putting on a silly voice. I promise you this is him. And I haven't heard this. Let's see what he's, he's got for us. All right. Hello. I am member 1911 of the Llama Appreciation Society, otherwise known as the Silverchair Fan Club. I have been invited onto the Bachi Chocolates podcast today to discuss the Silverchair album Diorama from a fan's perspective and a general overview of his life as a Silverchair fan. That is why I have asked for my voice to be disguised. Back in the 90s when I was a kid, it wasn't cool to be a Silverchair fan. They were massively popular but also widely derided as being a kids band, Nirvana in pyjamas and suffered from a hefty dose of Australian tall poppy syndrome. I am no longer willing to carry the burden of being a Silverchair fan in public. It is just too hard. So hopefully, this voice disguise doesn't break and reveal my true identity. Oh no, I think it broke. Hang, hang on a minute, I'll just make some adjustments. Okay, there we go. Oh, oh no, now I sound like Reese. Oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> what a I'm, I'm going to turn the voice disguiser off because... I'm not actually ashamed to be a Silverchair fan at all. That was all just um, a setup to have a joke at Reese's expense. But anyway, <laughs> um, it's a funny story. I, uh, Reese and I actually met. Um, we're both we're mutual friends of Dr. Drums. I knew Dr. Drums before he had the PhD, actually, when he was just a master of drums or a master beater of the drums. So it'd be. Anyway, I digress. I was 12, 13 years old when I was getting into Silverchair, the first band I ever saw at a big concert. And, you know, I just thought they were cool. And they were about three years older than me. And, you know, when you're in like year seven or year eight, and someone in like year 10 seems to be a fully grown adult, you know? Like, I never got the perspective of them being 
really, really young. You look back at it now and I can see it's hard not to think about it, but at the time I was just like, this band rules and um, I really liked them. I remained a Silverchair fan throughout their whole career and also stayed a paid up member of the Lama Appreciation Society throughout their career, which was like a, it was like $11 per year mail-in thing. You just sent a check off to like Newcastle they'd send you newsletters and promo CDs and stickers and key rings and stuff and you got um, oh, big free access to um, fan club tickets for concerts and stuff. It was awesome. Um, so yeah, I love being a Silverchair fan. Even in the mid-2000s when I was in, what, my mid early 20s, oh man, people that thought like Steve Albini going, let's fucking kill him, was the height of um, creative um, expression really fucking hated me for liking Silverchair, but you know, I don't give a fuck. Um, I understand what's good about both Steve Albini and Daniel Johns. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, uh, oh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, don't worry, I I don't have to have this finished for two weeks. Two weeks ago, Reese told me I had a month to do this, so I'll just go back and edit that out later. <laughs> oh, that one was my ringtone. Hang on, it's a message from Reese saying. Ah, recording's been brought forward and I need to have this done in two days. Okay, thanks for that, <laughs> so I guess it's uh, the burp and fart noises are staying in then. Um, back to Diorama. I think it is the pinnacle of Silverchair's output. The songwriting, production and execution just uh, well exceeds um, anything else that they did in their career and most bands ever try to achieve it's really quite an astonishing um record i think compared to what their peers were doing and um an extremely important metric here is that there are no genuine wussy songs until track nine love your life before then um it'll, all of the tracks have at least an element of being a rocker or a, and or a banger so their record label in the u.s basically didn't want to release it because they were like this doesn't sound like Silverchair, there's no singles on it, and um, if it weren't for the special efforts of Lama Appreciation Society member 1911 in negotiating a special deal with the record company, it never would have come out in America. Oh, hang on, I see what's happened here. I, uh, I've been writing some fan fiction and uh, <laughs> got mixed in with my notes for the podcast. Hang on, that's a little embarrassing. Um, that's pretty much all I had to say about the album. Um, thanks for having me on, Bachi Chocolates, and... Um, I look forward to hearing a no doubt mature and um, joke-free discussion of Silverchair's diorama. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Sergeant Stavros Squidchips, man. If, if you listeners, if you weren't sure, that was a bed of uh, Silverchair songs with burps replacing the vocals. Incredible stuff. Yeah, really glad that was in stereo. So, do you think that if if they released an album that had just full of burps instead of vocals on diorama <laughs> it might chart higher in a greatest albums of all time list or let's be honest if they were an american band Reese, would they have achieved more success so I, I was thinking a lot about this because just as this album was about to be released and there's footage of it daniel johns's knee starts swelling up and he's like fuck what's this and it's arthritis and they weren't able to tour and it just wasn't wasn't able to be launched properly but then they came back and did this like Aria's performance and it just uh, like maybe this is the Australia tour poppy syndrome or maybe it's just like the Australian sort of cringe factor. I'm just like great performance. If this was at the Grammys, this would have been legendary. This would have been like Americans do pomp and circumstance so much better. They do celebrations and events so much better than Australia. 
And I, like, it's great that they stayed in Australia to do it. And I, I love that. But it's like, I think it's a major reason why this doesn't make the top 500 albums of all time on, you know, from the Rolling Stone magazine. I, I think it is such a great album. They just totally missed the American market. Even the video for The Greatest View, it's pretty shit. I like the video, but I thought the video had that classic American sheen over the top of it. It looked like an Australian thing that wanted to have the American sheen. Was it filmed in Australia? I would imagine so, yeah. Okay, I thought I could it be might wrong. have been filmed in America, you know? No, because it, it looks like the same as, like, Rove Live. I don't know if you ever saw Rove Live. It looks like the same I know, camera I was used. <laughs> I feel like Australia at that time had three cameras. And there was like, oh, Rove's using it tonight. Oh, Silver got it tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Derek and Terry will drop it off. Yeah, and then Paul Hogan can have it the next night. You know, it's all right. Mel Meninga's going to do all the rounds for them as well. That's a rugger joke for all the rugby league fans out there, despite this being a predominantly Aussie rules show. But we haven't really talked about the, the secret weapon on this album, which is Van Dyke Parks. He was great in Mary Poppins, and he is great on this album. <laughs> he had an awful Cockney accent, didn't he? If you aren't familiar with Van Dyke Parks, he's basically, you know, the guy who wrote the lyrics to Brian Wilson's Smile. He also worked on Beach Boys, Pet Sounds. He's worked with U2, Randy Newman, Fiona Apple, Joanna Newsom, and Skrillex. And he was briefly a member of um, Frank Zappa's Mothers of Invention. I'm pretty sure. And in like 1960, yeah. he was releasing albums. And in 1970-something, he released this album called Clang of the Yankee Reaper. And he was actually the guy who took Daniel John seriously because Daniel Johns wasn't being taken seriously by a bunch of people. I was like, nah, dude, you play that too... Zero two 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 zero 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 riff on freak like that's where your musical sort of things lay. I still think emotion sickness is one of the best Silverchair songs. But I think people are listening to freak and being like, oh, you're that guy. He's like, oh, I've actually written a bunch of new stuff. And Van Dyke Parks, they thought he was dead. Yeah. And they were like, I oh, will find someone else. And then they're like, hey, he's actually alive. And he wanted to do it. He was the one who called Daniel John's Young Modern. So that's where that album name come came from. It was like a I thought that I thought that came from an artistic style. I I think Van Dyke Parks was calling him Young Modern. Is is my mind? Okay. Yeah. And here's what Van Dyke Parks had to say about the album. It was my real desire to reward Daniel's courage because I haven't seen anything like it mm-hmm. since I worked for Brian Wilson. I haven't seen this kind of thing. You know, just for a person who didn't need to do something, but, but but demanded it of himself. Everyone assumed because of that. That's a really good way to put it. It's like, he didn't need to do this. He kind of had already, he could just keep churning out those rock hits and been fine, but he didn't need to do it, but had the courage to do it in the face of label pressuring not to do it. And even presenting that stuff to the band, you know, he had his own home studio by this stage. So he's he's able to sort of work on stuff and layer the vocals and get some rough arrangements going to present to the band. But even to present it to those guys who are like, oh, that's what you've been doing. Because I think Chris moved away and I think Ben got a job like stacking shelves in between their albums or something. Some, something Jeez, odd okay. like that. Yeah. Maybe just for some life experience. I don't really know why. So even that takes a bit of courage. There was multiple times in the process where you'd think Daniel Johns could have been like, you know what? No, this is too fucked. I'll just go back to what I know. And he did write an album and delete it before he got... Before he started writing this, so you can hear Van Dyke Parks's work on 
tuner in the brine, I'm pretty sure. I've got a small grab of it here. You can just hear what he adds to the song. someone like that that's a silver chair song they're like what it's like yeah that's what's being played in the in the back of a new silver chair album you, you can't wait for you guys to hear it like that's fucking pretty wild yeah and people fucking hated it critically yeah people like ragged on their friends who and and lovers who and girlfriends who listen to it and those people you know hopefully now they've come along and and realized the error of their ways yeah i know but uh, hopefully james jam from the enemy has also realized the error of their ways because you look at the reviews, it got pretty good reviews. It got comparisons to Elliot Smith, which was incredibly flattering. But at the time, the pinnacle, the paragon of music journalism, the New Music Express, gave it a 3 out of 10, saying it was overproduced Aussie rock and that Silverchair should be compared to Brian Adams in their attempt to venture boldly into exciting new musical landscapes Tuner and Brian was grossly pretentious and overblown, and the album as a whole was inoffensive, especially in comparisons to the band's past post-grunge. The band were not trying to make a mature musical statement with the album, but rather, quote, impress their parents. Ooh, what a dick. Yeah, that. I think that's fundamentally wrong. I, and I think that's the problem with journalism at the time. Music journalism, it just got to the case of, how can we be really stinging and show pony how much we don't like something? And why did people really have a dislike towards Silverchair? I mean, Nirvana in pajamas is one of the funniest things I've heard yeah. regarding a critique about Silverchair. But is it because he was a bit of a pinup? Maybe New Zealand has this as well. It's very much tall poppy syndrome, and I don't want to go on it too hard. But yeah. I've heard it be discussed almost in relationships as well. Like if you're with your partner for a long time, you're kind of like, well, I know everything about them and I know where they kind of came from and I've met their parents and I've seen the environment they were raised in. Um, and when that partner might know something that you don't or tries to give advice, you kind of just don't really take it on because you don't assume they know because it's like, I know your whole backstory. I think that's what it comes into with Australia. It's like, I know the sort of shit you were growing up with or I can imagine what your life was like because... Most of Australia is much of a muchness to a, in an incredibly broad statement, you know, you know, you're, you're a white middle-class kid from Newcastle. We can kind of gather what your upbringing is like, uh, whether that's true or not. Like you can imagine that's how people think. And it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like writing all these songs with Van Dyke Parks and Paul Mac and why, why are you wearing like glasses with one lens? And you know what I mean? Like why are you wearing a scarf inside and who the fuck? So I can understand where it comes from. It doesn't mean it's, it's okay, but no, no, no. But then again, when they try and jump out of it to go to America, and they were hugely popular overseas. Like, they played massive, massive festivals, like headlining oh, spots. I mean, you can take a look on YouTube, but they played a set at Reading, which got broadcast on television. And you could see the crowd were there. And, you know, Daniel Johns... I mean, I saw Silverchair live at the Electric Ballroom in Camden during the Neon Ballroom tour, and I was just... Oh, fucking hell. It, it was one of the best live shows. And I believe Channel V in Australia, they broadcast Edward B, the 
either across the night tour or something like that but it was huge it was up there with like perhaps she had when they played Altair Square and that was like their big comeback so they 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 put on a fantastic live show when Daniel Johns is able to do a live show you know you know I think Enemy does that to bands as well that Australia definitely pumps bands up and then tears them down we did it with Craig Nichols and the Vines oh man and I fucking love the Vines yeah, so it's pretty grim. But we, we all have regrets, man, and we all make mistakes. And like Silverchair said in The Greatest View. Mistakes don't mean a thing if you don't regret them. Mistakes don't mean a thing if you don't regret them. And Benji, I've got a game on that theme. Would you like to play a game with me? Yeah, I'll, pl- I'll play a game with you. Now, this is a game I know for a fact all the answers. Because this is a game about me and my regrets. Oh my God. All right. I'm going to read a scenario. I'm going to give you three options and you tell me which option you think actually happened. You hit that click, Reese. Benji, I started at a new school halfway through the year, through like the first year of primary school. We call it prep. Maybe people call it kinder or foundation or whatever. What did I wear on my first day? Was it A, a pair of yellow overalls with Lola Bunny all over it? Was it B, an X-Files shirt that said the truth is out there? Or was it C, a fluoro hat that said bikini inspector. Uh, how old would you have been at the time? Five. Maybe five. Six. Yeah, five. Six. I was yeah, I was young for I was a year younger than everyone that were. I'm like Doogie Hauser, man. So yeah. Um I'm gonna go with the Lola Bunny overalls. Because I think wearing a bikini inspector bucket cap it's a bit much. And uh you're not a real sci-fi fan, I don't think. So you uh, rules the X Files thing out. So, yeah, I'm gonna go Lola Bunny overalls. I'm sorry. Oh, I did love the I did love the X Files, but I wore a bikini inspector hat and I wore it for about two years every day in primary school, and I even found it and wore it on my last day of year twelve for my graduation, where a member of parliament gave me my certificate wearing a fluoro green. Uh, bikini inspector hat that how is did absolutely you get away true. with that that seems incredibly inappropriate i didn't know what it meant my parents put it on my head i also had a card in a velcro wallet called wallet inspector that i'd pull out all the time i think my parents like told me to go do these things and i just went and did them uh and teachers must have been pissing themselves laughing at it but i had no idea so yes i did wear a bikini inspector hat through a oh lot God. of primary school your your parents trolled you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah my whole existence is a troll man no, 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 it's not, man. Your whole existence now is a meme. That's that positive diorama thinking. Next question. On the first day of high school, what did I loudly say at the end of the day to a guy on a skateboard? Did I yell out, press triangle to grind, do a king flip, or I can do an ollie if it's on the grass? I really, really hope, Reese, that you said press triangle to grind. I really, really do. But it's probably, I can do an ollie if it's on the grass, because that's a smart-ass thing Reese would say. I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know you at all. I said, do a king flip, and then the guy's like, it's a kick flip, you fucking idiot. And I was like, oh, man, everyone <laughs> laughed. you got to think, man, I'm trying to get across regrets. What do I really regret? Press triangle to grind is funny, you know? Yeah, I know What's that, but like... I don't. Th- I-, I thought you had no filter. That's the beauty of you. You have no regrets. That's what I find refreshing about you. Why did I? Oh my god. Why oh god. Did- why did I go through a brief period of gelling my forehead? Was it a 
one of the cool guys had a shiny forehead and I asked him how he got it and he said he always accidentally banged his head while he was jowling his hair. Was it that my friend's older brother told me it would stop acne from growing there? Or was it that I thought um, it would stop the sweat rolling in my eyes while I was doing bike jumps? I think it was you You thought it was going to stop the sweat going into your eyes doing bike jumps. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm giving you far too much credit. Yeah. Aren't I? Someone told you, didn't they? And you believed it, didn't you? I'm sorry. The uh, the guy at school who was cool, he, I'm like, bro, why is your forehead so shiny? <laughs> He's like, oh, I put hair gel all over my hands. And when I go to spike my hair up, I bang into my forehead. And I was like, I'm going to start doing that because that's fucking sick. So I would get hair gel and just rub it on my, my forehead here. I, I, oh, my God. Man, I'm learning so much about you. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, you have this baby and you're like, this kid fucking, I love him so much. I'm willing to change everything about my life. I just can't stop thinking about him. And then 14 and a half years later, you got to drive the piece of shit to high school. He's got like this gel all over his forehead that's cracking every time he laughs. And he's calling things king flips. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, man. for God's sakes, in a bikini inspector. Oh, my son's Milhouse. I, I can't believe any of this. I legitimately think that you're one of the coolest people I've met. And now it turns out the reason why we get along and we're cool is because... Secretly, we're just fucking goofs, aren't we? For the, <laughs> we do it for the lols, don't we? It gets worse. How many more questions have I've we got? I've got three more, but the last one is when I'm an adult, so that's even worse. Sorry, why did I kick over the kick drum in a drumming lesson, which saw me be banned from attending the class? Was it because the teacher said I would never be good if I didn't practice? Was it because he wouldn't teach me how to play Coma White by Marilyn Manson? Or was it because the teacher yelled at me for being late because I was trying to watch their heretic anthem video that had just dropped on the PRP.com. It's got to be, you were just, you were late because you were wanting to watch the Heretic Anthem video that just dropped. I'm sorry. Oh, for God's sakes, Reese. Uh, that was, I was late to one class with that, but that, that was why. I was also looking up Incubus tabs for a certain shade of green. Easy, easy enough to do. Uh, please tell me that you didn't throw your toys out the pram because you wouldn't get taught coma white. I'm sorry. Oh, thank God. All right, so it's not that bad. He just said to me, like, quite calmly, have you been practicing? I was like, no, my, my drum kit's at a friend's house because we had band practice. I couldn't play the drums, but I had a band. And he was like, well, you're not going to be able to get good if you don't practice. And I was like, well, fuck, how about this? And just kicked the kick drum over. And he's like, you aren't allowed in here anymore. But Benji, that brings me to the next question. One year later, I saw that drummer on a bus. And we were on the same bus together. What did I say to him? Did I say... Have you ever heard Fear Factory? Is it true the drummer has a triple kick? Did I say, why are you on a bus? Did you lose your license? Or did I say, hey, I've gotten so much better now. If you name any song off Tool's Undertow, I'd be able to play it. And then he said sober, and I said, man, that's so easy. Ah, uh, man, is it the third one? Yeah! <laughs> At least I got the Tool question right. Man, you're a fucking prick, aren't you? <laughs> man, that, what did he say after you went, man, that's so easy? What did he, what did he? I think he was just like, you're a fucking real piece of shit, man. It's like a year after you get kicked out of class, you're suddenly as good as Danny Carey. I'm like, yep, sure am, man. See these drumming gloves? <laughs> I have grown up and I have changed, but in my 20s, I went on a date to a bar with a girl and to appear polite and civilized, what did I do? Was it 
Before she sat down, I took off my coat for her to sit on it, and she was freaked out and didn't want to sit on my coat. Did I sneeze into an ashtray, which blew a bunch of ash into my eyes? Or did I try to hand-feed her some peanuts in a romantic gesture? Oh, Reese, did you... Please, you didn't try and hand-feed her some peanuts in a romantic gesture, did you? I'm sorry! Thank God. You sneezed into the ashtray? Yeah, yeah! <laughs> it hurt so much, and I had ash on my eyes for so long, and I reckon I spent oh, like my. 40 minutes just rubbing my eyes going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I did it. I, instead of like sneezing into my like yeah, elbow... Like, why did I sneeze into it? I, I picked it up and, like, looked into it. Have you ever... No, you've probably... You've avoided ashtrays. The worst is when you pick up an ashtray and you accidentally kind of, like, breathe in and then it goes through your nostrils and then you cough, but then you've coughed into the ashtray. It's it's a thing. It's a thing. Um, I am glad that I don't know too much about you because, wow. I don't tell those stories often because I am embarrassed but it's kind of interesting and it brings me to our sponsor this week someone in hollywood has heard of this story about my bikini inspector hat and they've written a movie about it called the boy in the bikini inspector hat the story of big rigs and i've got a track from the the soundtrack would you like to hear it yeah you know what i think i would yeah incredible sponsor to have so definitely when this movie's released go and see it i think you'll love it the boy in the bikini inspector hat Hey son, it's your first day at your new school I knew you didn't want to leave your old friends behind But I hope your new classmates treat you really kind And your teacher teaches you how to read and how to write And I can see the apprehension creep behind your eyes I can see that your hands are beginning to shake Well, what would you say if I told you I had some apparel that would put those punk ass six-year-olds back into their place? So, that's right, I've got something to ease your pain. I've got something that will help you to relax. It's appropriate for primary school. Don't worry about it, it's a bright fluoro green. Bikini inspector hat Well put it on your head You little shit You'll fucking wear it And when your classmates see you They'll ask what's that And you look them right in the eyes And you say real calmly It's my motherfucking fluoro green Bikini inspector hat Well put it on your head I don't wanna see your tears I promise that this hat Will help you with those first days First day flex, you'll be the coolest cat in school with your bikini inspector hat. And so I walked in to the school and the teacher had a look at my hat and said, that is the coolest motherfucking hat I have ever seen. And then all the kids picked me up on their shoulders and they carried me around the schoolyard and everyone was chanting my name. Fuck yeah, all thanks to this hat. Then they marched me to the principal's office and the principal took one look at my beautiful hat and said, you know what? You are now the principal. I am not worthy. No one has ever dared wear such a cool fucking hat on the first day of school. And that is how I became the youngest principal ever. Six years old, the town had a month-long party for me. It was fucking wild. Get yourself a fluoro bikini inspector hat. You will not regret it. 
can't wait to see that movie. It's going to be better than June, that's for sure. Do you reckon? It's going to be better than Chippendale Rescue Rangers? No, go and see Chippendale Rescue Rangers. It's on Disney Plus at time of recording. It's fucking great. I've kind of softened my stance a bit on Daniel Johns. I, you know, I think the resentment I have is because my wife had the biggest crush on Daniel Johns growing up. Posters all over her wall. When Silverchair went on their indefinite hibernation as well, or, you know, the friends that she still spoke to in school, all messaged her to see how she was doing, despite the fact that, you know, she was married for a couple of years by that time as well. And I just think maybe I didn't like Daniel Johns because I felt threatened in my relationship that a guy who possibly will never meet my wife, my wife finds more attractive than me. I'm just saying I'm a petty individual, man. That's I'm, all I'm saying. I think saying. you've tapped into something, man. Maybe that's what I was thinking. I was like, my girlfriend at the time loving this band and, and Daniel Johns in, in particular, but the songwriting, and, and maybe on some level I'm like, this guy was afforded all the resources that I've been afforded, you know? He probably, he was from a small town from like Newcastle. I'm from Bendigo. He probably had one or two music stores like I did. I can play a little bit of guitar. Why can't I do the things he does? I mean, I just don't have that fucking talent. Like, and I felt small in comparison and I, I knew he was better than me. And so rather than just go, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy this fucking song. I'm going to enjoy these albums. I'm along for the ride, Daniel Johns. Where are we going? I was like, that's bullshit. And you should listen to Straight Up because that is the greatest compilation <laughs> known to humankind. <laughs> Because they're American and they're far more disconnected to my, to my reality. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, despite the fact that Daniel Johns would probably never meet either of our significant others, the fact that the matter is because he was in so such close proximity than, say, Brandon Boyd, it, there was kind of like a, a threat. Definitely. Uh, bizarre. Toxic masculinity. Maybe maybe we're, we're breaking through. Maybe we should go and hang out with Daniel Johns. What's he up to these days? Um, he's released some new music. His friends are friends of ours, by the way. So I do know some stories about him. I've actually had his number in my phone for quite a while and we used to send him messages. And he replies sometimes. To, to finish the podcast, man, I've got two questions. Okay. The first one is, can you name any other band that has started wearing pork pie hats and actually gotten better other than Silverchair? Because they started wearing some pretty ridiculous hats. No doubt. No doubt. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Maybe most of those third wave ska bands that evolved from being a third wave ska band and decided to drop the pork pie two tone kind of get up. I only say because I've I've been listening to a lot of Gwen Stefani and No Doubt once again and just thinking, fuck this shit's incredible. So what we've done today is we've compared Silverchair to Guns N' Roses and Limp Biscuit, and then also the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones and No Doubt. They'd be very happy with that, you'd imagine. I would hope so. You can actually get in touch with Ben. He will drum on your track. If you go to his website, you can send him, send him an MP3. He'll, he'll, he will, for a price, drum on your track. That is absolutely true. He's got a big studio. But Benji, legitimately, is this the most ambitious songwriting we've had on this podcast? Uh, now, that that is a very good question. In all, in all seriousness, I would say that it is one of. Because we've got tool lateralis as well. Uh, well, because we got tall lateralis as well, but then let's not discount how big of a leap um, Deftones took going from Around the Fur to White Pony, especially when they incorporated those samples and those elements of shoegaze and everything like that in it. 
So I would say that that was ambitious as well. Yeah, I would probably say that in terms of the lengths that Daniel Johns went to to orchestrate this, yes, I think it is the most ambitious piece of songwriting we've discussed about on Batio Death Trip. I, I, I would say yes. Would you agree? Roadrunner United would be up there just for the logistics. In a way. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. But commercially, what was at stake here? Artistically, what happened with the band and the label and everything? Massive step up in songwriting and arrangements. Like, there's some huge gear changes on this album. They're kind of, like, both very apparent, but also, like, you're okay with it in a way. Like, sometimes they can be a bit jarring, but it, it feels okay. You're like, no, I trust the songwriting here, which is it's a really nice thing. Like, it, it changes shift, it changes key. Um, there's some interesting songs with like open tunings. Uh, you can tell they're the songs he wrote on guitar, whereas the sort of more traditional tunings are on piano. Yeah, I just think it is it is a really great, solid album. If you were to go back in time and talk to the young Reese that was dismissive to this girl, what would you say to him? Or would you just punch him in the face? I think it would be the same thing that most people would say to their young self. It's just like, shut the fuck up. You don't know everything. Not everything needs to be said. You're often speaking because of your own insecurities and, and what you're yeah. projecting and what you're putting out there. You're desperately trying to mask your own inadequacies and smarter people than you can see through that. And it's not endearing. It's just ignorant. I would also say don't feel threatened by Daniel Johns because Daniel Johns is probably threatened by you. Uh, <laughs> I doubt anyone's threatened by me. Timid, timid wee thing that he is. Very. I mean, I would definitely take over in a conversation with him. Uh, absolutely. That is my want, and that is what I do at all times. Well, then, then, then let's extend the invite to him right here, right now. Daniel, if you have anything you want to talk about, let's let... Why, why don't we talk about your last album, which you decided that you did not want to release singles for because you wanted people to treat the release as an album as a whole, which is like, fuck yeah, Daniel Johns. Thank you so much for that. Hit us up. What's the email address, Reese? Butchodetrip at gmail.com. Next week, Benji, we're talking about a band I have not heard one second of. The Mad Capsule Capsule Markets. Markets. Yep. This is this is a Benji album. This is a Benji band, I feel. It's definitely a Benji band. It ticks all the boxes. Japanese band, check. Very, very fast speed light drumming. Check. A fucking awesome bass player. Check. Getting photographed with them at Download Festival? Double check. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to talking about Mad Capsule Markets. Tony Hawk soundtrack? Check. Yeah, that was when I used to go by the name Chad Musker. If that isn't reason enough to tune in next week to hear Benji gush over this album and to hear my hot take as a new listener, uh, have I learned anything since the young days of dissing Diorama? Tune in next week to find out that I'm still the same ignorant piece of shit. Uh, Benji, as we say... Every week at the end of this episode, ask your listening device to play Mad Capsule Markers, Osk Dis, and Chippendale Rescue Rangers on Disney Plus. Support Disney, you know they need our money. Support the yeah, they guys. Da- I feel sorry for Disney as a really kind of bespoke company, and we really need to throw all of our support behind the mouse. That you know that that mouse still needs his house. So yeah, let's throw our support. 